started a series called The Four Sides of Pride, and we've been using the four kings of Babylon, or the kings of Babylon, <clears throat> to give us a, a type of those sides of pride, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar was the first king. He was seduced by pride, uh, the s- seduction side of pride. <clears throat> Let's all clear my throat. <clears> throat> it's been a sugar week, okay? Just <laughs> <clears throat> and then uh, Belshazzar, he was the stubborn side of pride. Darius was the deception, deception side of pride. Today, I want to talk to you about Cyrus, who's the reversed side of pride. <clears throat> now, you need to know, Daniel ministered to all four of these kings. Here's an amazing kings come and go, but God's servants <clears throat> stay right where God wants them to be. So, let me give you some verses on Daniel serving these kings. Daniel one twenty one. Daniel remained in the royal service until the first king or the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. So he went through all four. Daniel 6.28. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now the book of Daniel is made up of 12 books. The first six are historical chapters and then the history of what happened during Israel's 70-year exile uh, as those, that area there. And this is when God allowed Israel to be captured and taken to Babylon into captivity. The second six chapters are chapters 7 through 12, and they are the dreams and visions Daniel received during the exile. So some of those dreams and visions are about the Messiah coming or Jesus coming, uh, uh, coming to Israel. All right, and then some are about our time. They're about the last days that we're living in, the second coming of Christ. So it would take a whole lot of series for me to go through all of that. We did three of those earlier in the summer. <clears throat> but let me just say this. Let me give you some verses. Or let me give you the first verse of chapter 7 through 12 to just give you an idea of what Daniel went through uh, during those uh, his, or during those uh, years of getting dreams and vision. Uh, Daniel 7, verse 1. Earlier, during the first year of King Belshazzar's reign in Babylon, Daniel had a dream and saw visions. As he lay in his bed, he wrote down the dream, and this is what he saw. Don't have time to go into it, but he had lots of dreams. Daniel 8, 1. During the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, saw another vision or dream following the one that had already appeared to me. Daniel 9, 1 uh, and 2. It was the first year of the reign of Darius, the Mede, the son of, hard word, uh, who became king of the Babylonians. (laughs) Verse 2. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. Now, I want you to hear this. Daniel read while he's under these kings, and he just finds out as he's reading the book of Jeremiah that Israel has to be where they're at for 70 years. All right? So we'll come back to that a little bit later. Daniel 10, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia, Daniel also known as Belshazzar, had another vision. 
he understood that the vision concerned events certain to happen in the future, times of war and great hardships. So you can see Daniel is saying, under this king, I had this dream, and under this king, I had that dream, and the third year of Cyrus, I had this dream or vision. Now, one thing you need to know about the book of Daniel is that it is one of the most puzzling books to skeptics uh, in the world because Daniel prophesied events so accurately. If they're a skeptic, they don't quite know what to do with it. Either that's God or somebody made it up, but they're so accurate, he couldn't have. So Daniel actually prophesied the year Jesus would begin his ministry. Daniel actually prophesied that the Persian Empire would be conquered by another empire and gave the specific dates it would happen. Then he prophesied that the empire would be the greatest empire in the the, uh, world, which was Alexander the Great. That empire would be cut off suddenly and become four empires, and those, and that's uh, Alexander the Great's generals, and those four empires would become two, and then those two empires would become one during that last empire, which was the Roman Empire, the Messiah would show up. Now, how many of that's pretty accurate? And Daniel prophesies all this a little over 500 years before, Joseph, uh, before Jesus shows up on the scene. And I, I, I'm amazed as I was just studying out this week. You and I should know this. this. This is what it means. God knows what's going to happen before it happens. And you need to know that. And you need to know that God knows what is going to happen to you tomorrow. Nothing catches God by surprise about your life and about world events. And that should give you great hope today, all right? Especially what's going on in the Middle East. Now, a lot of Daniel also has to do with our time or the end times. So look at these verses in Daniel 12 and and how many New Testament Testament verses uh, refer to just these two verses, all right? Let me take one more drink here. I'm getting too excited to carry this water. It's going to just spill out. All right. Verse 1 of Daniel 12. At that time, Michael, the archangel who stands guard over your nation, will arise. Then there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. He's talking about the great tribulation in the end. But at that time, everyone of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. He's talking about the book of life and the second coming of Christ that, that goes on, and that's in the book of Revelation. Then it says in verse 2, many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up. And that's First Thessalonians 4. The dead in Christ will rise. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. That's Revelation 20. All of those New Testament verses came from those two verses, okay? So we've been talking about pride. And now 2 Timothy 3 tells us that in the last days, people will be full of pride and full of themselves, boasters and 
just self-centered, only thinking of themselves. But 1 Peter 5 gives us the remedy uh, for that. And he says, dress yourself or clothe yourself with humility every day because God gives grace to the humble and he resists the proud. Now, we know pride that we've learned over the last number of weeks. Pride is the original sin uh, of Satan in heaven. He's the father of pride. And the first three kings of Babylon that we've talked about over the last few weeks were seduced by it, became stubborn because of it, and they were deceived by it. Now, King Cyrus represents the reversed side of pride. In other words, pride can be reversed in every one of our lives. Another way to say it is this. A prideful person can become humble. They can become a humble person. So a question we need to ask is this. Does God humble people? Yes, he does. <laughs> yeah, and all the way through the Bible, we see many people humbled by God's uh, allowing it in their lives. So why would God humble anyone? Well, many think the Bible says pride comes before a fall, but it doesn't tell it. It doesn't say that. I just want you to know that. Proverbs sixteen eighteen says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And you and I have been around certain people, and you've, you've just, by the way they talk, by the way they act, they go, well, that person's heading for some big fall. They're a haughty person. So why would God humble anyone? Here's the answer. To keep people from being destroyed. He, that, that means he wants to do you good. So let me give you three reasons why God wants to reverse pride in our lives, and then we'll get to Cyrus, all right? God's plans for you are for your good. When he allows you to go through tough times, you can blame the devil all you want, but I'm telling you, sometimes God's just saying, I need to get you to a place where you're usable because a prideful person will never stay usable for very long. So often when things get tough, we think God's punishes us, but the truth is he's working his good in our lives. Let me give you some verses. Deuteronomy 8.16, speaking of the children of Israel. Who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you, why? To do you good in the end. Now, I want you to hear this. To do you good in the end. How many have ever been grounded? My brother Pinky was grounded a lot. Me a little bit. No. No, the point is this. When you get grounded, how many know it's not good when you're going through it, but in the end, it's for your good, all right? Now, Jeremiah 24, 5, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so will I acknowledge those who are carried away, speaking of the children of Israel going into exile, uh, uh, carried away, captive from Judah, whom I have sent out of this place for their own good into the land of the uh, Chaldeans. Uh, verse six, for I will set my eyes on them for good. I will bring them back to this land. I will build them and not pull them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. Or how about this verse? We quote it all the time. It's one of our favorite verses, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. 
but the verse before it that talks about the children of Israel being in exile tells us why verse 11 exists. Verse 10, for thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good toward you and cause you to return to this place. That's the verse that Daniel was reading. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. So Daniel's reading this and realizing, wow, we've got 70 years, it's almost up. God's got something good in store. Second Chronicles 36, 22 through 33. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation uh, and also put it in writing, saying, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kings of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you of all his people. May the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. So here's what I want you to know. If you get yourself in trouble, even if God is disciplining you like he was the children of Israel, he is doing it for your good. You got to believe this. Because I've done this. God, why are you letting this happen to me? Because, Doug, you have pride. (laughs) We always think, well, do we look at others? We judge others, but God's dealing with us. So if you're going through something right now, it's for your good. He humbled his people for their good, and he does it for our good too. Now, one example of this in Scripture is Joseph getting thrown into a pit and thrown into slavery. But how was that for his good? Well, here's a couple reasons. God was preparing Joseph to become a prince of Egypt. He was going to be the second in command of the whole nation under, under the most powerful ruler in the world. Secondly, I think there was pride in Joseph. And God had to take him through a humbling process for his own good to become the leader he was called to be. And here's the reason I think there was pride in Joseph. God gave him a dream at 17 years old that his brothers would bow down to him. So here's a question. Why would God give a dream to a 17-year-old? Now, I know there must be some mature 17-year-olds out there. I've never met them, but I'm sure they're there. (laughs) So here's what it says in Genesis 37. Verses three, four through five. But when his brothers saw their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. So he was his daddy's favorite. Verse five. Now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. So here's a question. Why, what would cause you to tell older, stronger brothers that hate you that they're going to bow down to you. It could have been pride, but I think another way to say it is it was stupidity. I'm just saying. So God humbles us for our good. Okay, here's point number two. God knows you before you know him. And I want you to hear this. If anything should make you humble, 
It's because God had you in mind and you're in this earth at this place for a specific purpose to fulfill because God designed you, all right? Now, no matter what type of home you grew up in or what you've been through, God knew you before you knew him. Now, it is believed that when Daniel was reading the book of Jeremiah, that he also read the book of Isaiah and showed these scriptures to King Cyrus and that is why Cyrus gave the decree to build the temple. Now, we don't know for sure that Daniel showed Cyrus these scriptures because the Bible doesn't tell us that for sure, but Daniel would have been the logical one because he had access to the king and uh, had the king's ear. So let me show you some verses that I think backs this up. Isaiah 45, 1. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. Okay, uh, 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 verse four. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect. Okay, now watch this. I have even called you by your name. I have named you, though you have not known me. Verse uh, uh, Chapter 44, verse 28. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built and to the temple your foundation shall be laid. Now, remember, Cyrus makes a proclamation that God told him to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Now, how else would King Cyrus know this unless Daniel sat down with him and... uh, Here's what I think he did. Lois, can I see your Bible for a sec? I think Daniel was so excited as he's reading the Bible. I think he goes, knocks on the door, gets, gets into the king's chambers and said, king, you're not gonna believe this, but here's what God says. He says, he calls you by name. And by the way, king, this was written 150 years ago. And then he goes on and tells him, and it says you're gonna rebuild the temple. It says you're gonna have a heart for, for Israel. That's a big thick Bible and I think he goes on and on and Daniel gets so excited as he opens up the book and and just so you know like I said he prophesies 150 years before don't ever knock prophecy we we have prophetic people that come in and you'll say I don't know what they're talking about I've had people prophesy I had a guy prophesy over me that I would get fired four months before it happened and I remember him telling me, after he was done, he said, what do you think? I said, I think you missed it. <laughs> Four months later, I remembered the word of the Lord. <laughs> now, what you don't know is that when Cyrus was born, his grandfather uh, was the king, and his grandfather had a dream, and uh, this is in historical books, by the way, that his grandson was going to overthrow him and murder him. How many know a saint can give dreams too? Now, the name of the grandfather was Cambyses. Not cannabis, but Cambyses. And he was Cambyses the first. Now, why wouldn't his son been named Cambyses the second? It's because the grandfather had this dream that his grandson was going to overthrow him. So he orders one of his ranked, high-ranked officials to take the baby out to kill him. But what happened 
is this official took the baby out to kill him and he runs into a shepherd and his wife who are burying their stillborn baby. And this official switches babies with them and takes the stillborn baby back and says, look, king, I killed your grandson. It's all done. And uh, that, that's what, so he says that to Cannabis, Cannabis, yeah, Cannabis, Cannabis the first. All right, now, what is, I, I kept thinking, don't say Cannabis, don't say Cannabis. How many know when you say that, you're going to do we were playing a game the other day saying with, with the Lopez family, and it was, uh, you, you have these skip cards, and uh, I said, I'm going to serve one, and I'm going to skip one. And they said, you quit saying that. You're going to tell people to serve one and skip one. No, sit one, serve one, serve one, sit one. All right, anyway, back to the message. All right, so he takes this dead baby, and what's amazing is the shepherd couple names their baby. They didn't know the scriptures. They named their baby son Cyrus, which was prophesied by Jeremiah 150 years before he comes into power. So he would know. God was the one who named him. That's why. So he would know before he was born that God was saying, I knew you. And then God makes this statement in Jeremiah and in Isaiah. You're my shepherd. And the first 10 years of Cyrus's life, he was raised by shepherds and his mother, and he thinks that his parents are really shepherds. So he, uh, as that goes on, uh, the king starts thinking, you know what? I feel really bad that I killed my, my grandson. And it goes on for 10 years. And finally, on Cyrus's 10th birthday, this official gets the nerve up to tell the king, your grandson is not dead, he's still alive. And the king was overjoyed, didn't kill the official, and said, please restore him, bring him home, I want to meet my grandson. So they go and bring him home, but Cyrus has no clue as to why they're taking him from his real parents, who he thinks are shepherds. Then he finds out he's the grandson of King Cambyses, and over time, he becomes the ruler of the world. And some historians say his grandfather was able to live out his life in peace. Now, the prophet comes to him right after he becomes king, which was probably Daniel. Uh, and he says, and he holds up that Bible, flips through it, and says, look here, King uh, Cyrus, I want your name. No, your name was written 150 years before. Instead of being Cambyses the second. God named you Cyrus way back then. And, and he wants you to know I named you. No one else could have named you. And I, I want you to know, I also I got all this from a Persian Greek historian, so you'll know I'm not making all this stuff up, uh, named Her- Herodotus, who is actually called the father of history. And he's actually the first notable historian. And he also wrote this. When Cy- he wrote this, in, this is in his writings. When Cyrus saw that God said, he is my shepherd, he knew then that God knew who he was and he knew him personally. 
That's pretty amazing. So that's why in the first chapter of Daniel, King Cyrus could say with great conviction, I'm going to rebuild this temple in Jerusalem because God know me, knew me before I knew him and wrote about me and showed me what I was supposed to do with my life. Now, I don't know if that you figured this out yet, but that is amazing. God deserves a big hand for this. Come on. Our God has got it all planned out. He's got your life planned out, including uh, every detail of your life. It tells us in Psalm 136 or 139, verse 16, that God says, I wrote out every day in your, of your life in my book. He wrote a book about you, all right? So you should... Say, God, I'm so grateful. Just like you knew King Cyrus, you knew me. My name's up by accident. I, I used to think my name might be an accident. You don't know this, but the name Doug means black ditch. I know, that's what I said. Oh. But you know what the Christian meaning is? I love the way Christians, uh, these Christian name books, they rename your name. My name means seeker of light and seeker of truth. When you're in a black ditch, you want to find a light and get out. I'm just telling you. So I'm a seeker of light and a seeker of truth. All right. Here's number three. God's plans for you. This is so you'll know how you should get humble through this. Include provision. Ezra 1, 1 through 4. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, now, I don't know if these next verses are on the screen, but listen to them. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kings of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you of all people. Uh, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. Then look at this verse, verse four. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of this place help him, whoever goes to rebuild it, with silver and with gold, with goods and with livestock, besides the free will offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Now, I, I think that's amazing. By the way, we're gonna, we're gonna be doing a legacy month uh, starting on the 29th when we do one service. And I just want you to know, God's put things in your possession to help with the future of this building, but also to reach Grace Harbor, the state, the nation, and beyond, all right? Now look at Ezra 3, 7. They also gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food, drink, and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre to bring cedar logs from Lebanon to the Sea of Joppa, uh, to the Sea, to Joppa, according to the permission which they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. So God was providing everything they needed through King Cyrus. It's amazing. What a miracle. This is the reverse side of pride. When somebody says, you know what? This isn't for me. This all belongs to God. He's put a call on my life. He's given me all this. God, it's yours. Show me how I can be used for your glory. So when pride gets reversed in our lives, 
you immediately step into God's plan for your life. You also step into God's provision for that plan. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were always provided for. And the children of Israel, get this, when they were in the wilderness, their clothes didn't wear out. Their shoes didn't wear out. They wore the same shoes for 40 years. And some women would be upset about that, but there was no Nordstrom in the wilderness. So there you go. And when the children of Israel, uh, when a time of correction that God provided for them, but as soon as they were humbled, they, the children of Israel walked into the promised land, which was a land built by giants. Now, you know, I want you to understand this. That means the houses they got had 12-foot ceilings because the giants were nine feet tall. When they walked into their houses, they had nine-foot-long beds at least. And there were nine-foot, nine-feet, nine-foot big-screen TVs and all those good things. All right. And when the children were released to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls of their city and their temple, every penny was provided for by the God that they served. That's what our God does when you walk humbly before him. And I just, again, let's give God a big applause. He, and you, you need to know this. Everything you're sitting in, everything about this building, everything we've done here has been provided by our God. All right, and people who don't even go to this church, people who don't even claim to be Christian of faith, have given thousands of dollars you don't even know about. All right, so our God humbles us, but guess what? That's not the ultimate. You know what the ultimate is? You can write this down somewhere. The ultimate is when we humble ourselves. That's the ultimate. So let me give you some verses about this. 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will what? Humble themselves. This is what we should do before we even pray. See, God never, God doesn't answer a prideful prayer. So we humble ourselves, then we pray. And we seek his face and turn from our wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. The ultimate is humbling ourselves. Second Chronicles 12, 6. So the leaders of Israel and the king humbled themselves and they said, the Lord is righteous. Second Chronicles 32, 26. Then Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart. Notice he humbled himself for the pride of his heart. He and the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the wrath of of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. I'm just going to read a couple of lines. Second Chronicles 33, 23. He did not humble himself. He did not humble himself before the Lord. So this, this guy did not see a good end. Uh, uh, Second Chronicles 3, 4, 27. Because your heart was tender, you humbled yourself. Second Chronicles 36, 12. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, his God, and did not humble himself. And just so you know, so humbling ourselves, we have a choice, always. And here here it is in the New Testament, James 4.10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. 1 Peter 5.6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. So, how do we humble ourselves? 
I don't know about you, but I, I, I don't like asking God, Lord, just humble me. You know, I, I'd rather humble myself, all right? See, I want to be humble, but I don't, want really, I don't really want God to humble me. Does anybody relate to that? So the Bible gives us the answer from the most humble person that ever walked the face of the earth, Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God and did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now, there are many definitions of the word humble. Let me give you one here. It's not on your notes. You can write this down. Humble or humility means to rank oneself below others, to rank one's self below others. So when that means, uh, and by the way, if you back up just a little bit from that verse, it says that each esteem others better than themselves. So better than himself. So it means better. So not equal. Now we talk about equality all the time and we should. But humility takes equality a step further because we talk about it all the time, equality. But humility means I don't just consider you equal. It means I consider you better. I esteem you higher than I esteem myself. Now you and I are to take the form of servants and we are, to, we are here to serve God and others. That's, do you know why we're going to sit one, serve one? Because we love God and we love others. And, we, and you find out what's in you when you're asked to do something you don't want to do. Give an extra hour. Oh, my goodness gracious, Pastor. You, don't, you guys have it so easy. I grew up in a church. They had three-hour services. One service. Went to work, went, went to work, that's what it felt like. Went, went to church at 11 and got out at 2. It, it, was, it was horrible. But I'm just telling you, that's what it was like. Now, I just want to say this. I don't even know how else to say this. You wouldn't say my name with humble, usually. People don't say, Doug Humble Cotton. I don't understand why, but <laughs> but I want you to know this. I joke and I, I have fun now and then and all that stuff. But I want you to know that I take this job very seriously. And my job is to minister the word of the Lord to you in humility. And I hope every week you know that I come prepared as best I can because I take this as speaking on God's behalf. And even though I laugh and have fun and all that kind of stuff, I hope that you know I come with humility to serve you with all my heart. And that's my, my, my purpose and what I hope comes through in the long haul. I also was thinking today, who's the most humble person I know? So I asked Lois, and she mentioned a couple, but the truth is, the most humble person I know outside of Jesus is my wife. And I, I, I know sometimes maybe you don't see her that way, but I see my wife always putting others above herself. If there's a need, she meets it. If there's 
if it takes serving hard work, she meets it. If there's a financial need, she gives people the money, and then I, I gives people money, and then I find out later she gave her money away. So I just she's she's very generous. She gives surprise birthday parties. She gave me with a few close old friends this week, and they're not they weren't all old like me, but they were close. Anyway, we we had a great party together, and let me just say this about Lois. She would never brag about herself, not even jokingly. She just doesn't do it. I do, but she doesn't. <laughs> and I love this verse about Moses. Numbers 12.3. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. Wouldn't you like that to be said about you? So let me just say this as we close today. I want to read a verse from 1 Corinthians 4.7 and the New Living that says this. For what gives you the right to make such a judgment about the things you have? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And, everything, and if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? Now, listen to it in the message. For who do you know that really knows you, that knows your heart? And even if they did, is there anything they would discover in you that you could not, that you could take credit for? Isn't everything you have and everything you are sheer gifts from God? So that's the point of all this comparing and competing. In other words, folks, you can never brag on yourself. So my last point would be this. Don't believe your own press. People will come up and brag on you, build you up, all that kind of stuff. But I want you to know this. You can believe it if you want to, but the truth is everything you have is from God. And I, I appreciate all of you telling me sometimes I did a great job, but I want you to know if it wasn't for being able to study and do all sorts of things, I couldn't come up with what I do. I'm not that smart. In fact, I'm pretty stupid in many cases. Remember, here's a definition of pride. Pride means being lifted up as in a fog means you can't see yourself clearly. That's from Kevin Connor, one of my Bible teachers. And humility means to lower yourself and put others above you. Let's stand. So hopefully you've learned from Cyrus, God's plans for you are good. God knew you before you knew him, and God's plans include provision. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let me speak to those of you who may not know Christ or maybe one time you did. Let me just say this. Today is your day to come to Jesus or to come back home to the Lord. And if that's you, it takes humility. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in a moment. What I'm going to ask you to do is say, you know what? I raise my hand and I say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I don't want to leave here without you. I don't care what anybody else thinks or anyone else sees. I'm going to take a stand for Jesus. If that's you right now, Raise your hand and say, I need Christ in my life. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Raise them high so I can see them. I don't see any hands. Are there any? I see one. I see two. All right, now we're going. Any more? Three. Thank you. All right, come on, that's good. All right, let's all say this prayer together. Say this with me. Father God, thank you for loving me so much. 
that you sent your son, Jesus, to die in my place. I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of all my sins, all my mistakes, all my failures. Come into my life, be my savior, my Lord, my boss, my friend, and my king. By your grace and by your power, I will serve you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand. If I can have some prayer people, come on up here. If you gave your life to Christ, if you need a healing, let's just take a moment and worship just for a few minutes, and then we'll be dismissed. But whatever, if, if you gave your life to Christ, you need to come up and tell somebody, and then you need to get baptized in water, and you need to get a fresh start starting next service. All right.